Christ will remember. He will remember and reward you for all that you did that honored him. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. When we think of Christmas, there may be many images that come to your mind. And no doubt, one of those images that comes to your mind might be something like this, right? We think of Christmas as a time of gift-giving, of giving and receiving gifts. But the truth is, is that the greatest gift that was ever given was given to us by God in the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ has brought us hope. And Christmas is a celebration of the birth of our Savior, who is our hope. That has been our theme as we've been celebrating Christmas here this year. That theme of hope, that hope is on the horizon. And just a reminder for us, too, when the scriptures speak of biblical biblical hope, that's a little different from how we use it in our ordinary, everyday language. We use hope to mean something, a wish or a desire that may or may not come true. But that's not the case with the Bible. In the Bible, when it talks of our hope, it means something that is sure and certain because it is a promise made by God who has all power, all knowledge, is infinitely wise, and who is good and trustworthy and faithful. And so this is our hope. This is our guaranteed promise and assurance that we have in Christ. What is that? It's many things, but we're looking at these things. It is eternal life. It is perfect righteousness, holiness. It is the hope of the resurrection, a resurrected body. It's heavenly reward. What we do here and now for God matters, and he will remember that and honor that, reward that. And then it is also the hope of the new earth, that God isn't just saving people. He is making all things new, including this earth, and we're going to live and rule and reign with Christ on a new earth. This is our hope. You know, last week we looked at the biblical teaching on the resurrection body and that wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about the resurrection. And that passage there concludes with this solemn command and assurance, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is what? Not in vain. It's not empty or worthless or useless. What we do for God is never useless. It's never worthless. It will always be remembered and rewarded. I promised you last week that we were going to come back to this thought and look a little bit more at the Scripture, what the Scripture teaches us then about heavenly reward. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain because Christ will remember it and will reward it. And so our topic here then today, heavenly reward, looking also in 1 Corinthians, moving back a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And here's the key thought that I want us to take away from this today. Christ will remember. He will remember and reward you for all that you did that honored him. All that you did that honored him. Before we look at our text in 1 Corinthians 3, a little context here. 
Many of you know that in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a very troubled church, the church in Corinth, many problems, many issues there, and he was writing to correct these problems in the church there. Of these many issues, a central problem, though, was the problem of division, disunity, the lack of harmony in the church. But Paul reminds them, though, that when he first came to them, when he first came to Corinth, to preach the gospel to them, his whole goal was to preach Christ and Christ crucified to them. That is the gospel. Paul had laid the foundation of the gospel message, Christ crucified and risen there in Corinth. And now there in Corinth, Paul had moved on from there, and now there in Corinth, there were others then who were building on that foundation of the gospel. There were other teachers, such as Apollos, who were building on that foundation, but so were others. And the reality is, is each one of them and each one of us in the church today, we're continuing to build on that foundation that is Christ crucified, the gospel then. So all of them, and in fact, all of us here today, are called upon to build on that foundation of the gospel, that is to build up the church. And we can either be faithful in that, or we may be unfaithful. But those who are faithful will receive heavenly reward. But those who are not faithful will forfeit reward, even though they themselves will be saved. But let's endeavor, though, today, let's not be among those who will suffer loss, that is the forfeiture of reward. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Here Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I want us to notice in this text, first off, the foundation. What is the foundation? Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. In this passage, Paul here is, he is picturing the church as being like a building which can either be built up with valuable eternal materials or worthless temporary materials. But whatever it is built on, the foundation is Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. It is the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of the church. And for those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the foundation of our lives, isn't he? He is the one upon whom we build. We build our lives. So the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. 
And if you're a believer, he's the foundation of your life. I'm reminded of in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll be coming back to that and we, as we go into the new year here before too long. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he concludes that sermon with a call then, what? To be careful then, all of us, to listen to these words of him, of his, because what? Those who listen and obey are like what? Those that are building on that solid rock foundation and the wind and the rain, the storms, all of that come and it beats against it, but it does not fall. But that which is built on the sand, those who do not hear his word, who do not believe, who do not listen to him, when the wind and the rain and that comes, then what's going to happen? That's going to collapse. The building will collapse. So he is the solid rock foundation of the church, and you are the church, a believer. So let's be careful then how we build on the foundation of the gospel of Christ of the life that we have in Christ. So the foundation is Jesus. And who is the builder? The believer. In the immediate context, it's what? It's the the teachers and others there in the church who were building up the church on the foundation of the gospel that had been laid there by Paul. But it expands, though. It's not only the teachers who are building on the foundation there in the collective body of Christ, Each one of us is the church, aren't we? Each one of us is a member of the body of Christ. And each one of us is building the church by how we live our lives then. So the individual believer is the builder. If you're a believer, the foundation of the gospel has been laid in your life. But now you and I, we must be careful how we build on that foundation and how do we build on the foundation? Now, in a physical sense, what? You get certain materials and you start putting them together. And, and I have to tell you, I'm not really good at that. You know, I, I'm very good at actually at, at tearing, tearing buildings apart. If, if you need a little demo work, that would have been, I think that would have been my job if I was in the trades. I would have been a demo guy who just goes in with the sledgehammer and is, and is breaking things. I have, I, and I, I kid you not, I have somehow managed in my life to break three sledgehammers, right? Including one that belonged to Skip Mealing, right, Skip? Remember when I had to buy a new sledgehammer because I broke yours? I don't know how I do it, but I, even sledgehammers I managed to break, you know, with that. But uh, I'm very good at ripping things apart. Yeah, but building it, that, that, I'm not so good at that. And that, other people come to help then help me to do that with that. So, but these aren't physical materials. These are what? These are spiritual materials with which we're building a spiritual house. So how do we build on the foundation of Christ? We build on it by how we live our lives. How we live our lives. It is our convictions, our beliefs, our attitudes, our words, our actions. All of these things are how we build on the foundation of Christ in our lives then. So Jesus is the foundation. You, the believer, are the builder. And what are the materials we're working with? Well, they're either precious things or worthless things. Some materials are better to build with than others, aren't they? So are you working with the good stuff or the worthless stuff? The good stuff, what? Gold, silver, 
precious stones? Think what? These are valuable things, precious things that will last, that will withstand the judgment of Christ. So what are some of these gold and silver and precious stones that we build with in our lives? Well, I think in, in, a, in a very general sense, it's right doctrine and right conduct. And both of those are important, right? Right doctrine and right conduct. These are the gold, silver, and precious stones with which we build on that foundation. We said before what? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right teaching. Orthopraxy is right living. So gold, silver, precious stones. It's right doctrine, persevering in the truth, living out our lives consistent with the truth, which is in Christ. By the way, do you think it's possible to have all the right doctrine in the world, to be right on everything, but still be living a very poor Christian life? Absolutely it is. You can have all the right doctrine and not be living it out and be a very poor example. On the other hand, you might say, well, someone, well, they're, they're very kind and they're showing the fruit of the Spirit, but they're teaching false doctrines. Is that gold and silver? No. You've got to have both. Right doctrine, right conduct. It's persevering in the truth, living out our lives consistent with the truth, which is in Christ. Now, is any one of us here 100% consistent with the truth of the gospel? No, we're not. We are all a work in progress, aren't we? We're all a work in progress. But that's the question. What is the direction of our lives? Are we heading in the right direction? So gold, silver, precious stones... It is a life which is worthy of the calling we have received in Christ. Now understand, when Scripture calls you and me to live a life worthy of the calling we have in Christ, that doesn't mean be worthy of your salvation. Is any of us worthy of our salvation? No. We can't possibly be worthy of all that Christ has done for us, can we? That's why it's grace. That's why it's called grace, right? So what does the scripture mean when it says walk worthy? It means live your life in such a way that honors the sacrifice of Christ and the gift of Christ to you. Walk in a way that is honorable and honoring to that. That's a worthy walk. Not being worthy in ourselves, but living our lives in a way that is worthy of what he has done even though we are going to fail, and I fail every day in one way or another, but walking consistently in the right direction. So it's living in a way that honors Christ. It's persevering in right doctrine. It's growing in Christ-like attitudes and words and actions. It's growing in Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these sorts of things. It's being more and more like Jesus. It's also proclaiming the hope of Christ to others. A life of giving 
and receiving the love we have and giving that love to others, proclaiming the gospel message to others. These things are gold, silver, precious stones. Well, what about the wood, the hay, and the straw? Well, these are worthless things that will not last. If you wanted to build a home and you could choose to build it with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw, which, would, which one do you think is going to last longer? The valuable, the precious things, right? The wood, the hay, and the straw, these are things that will not last. So what are they? Well, if the other is right doctrine, right conduct... What is this? It's false doctrine and false living. Living that is inconsistent with that. It is veering away from right doctrine and right living. It's compromising the truth of of the gospel. It's failing to honor Christ with how we live. And there were many examples of that in the church at Corinth. It was seen in division, division in the body, and also a lax attitude towards sin among them. But I think it's important to point out this, though, too. It may also be the things that appear to be good to the outside world. That key word there is what? Appear. Things that appear to be good to the outside world. It may be things then that despite all appearances were not truly done for Christ and his glory. Rather, they were done for selfish reasons, fleshly reasons, or that which was done in our own power and resources rather than in the power and the wisdom of God. Well, okay, we can see the things that are clearly Worthless, but what about the things that someone appears to be living a good life, but maybe they're having a, a good ministry, but it really isn't being done for Christ's glory and honor. It's being done for selfish reasons. Well, who's the judge? Who's to judge? Are you to judge? Am I to judge? Well, by the way, the scripture says what? We are all to judge in the sense of what? Proclaiming the truth of God's word. But in the end, when it comes to what's really going on in a person's heart, who who is the judge? God is. Jesus Christ, right? The judge is Jesus Christ. And so the wood, the hay, and the straw may look like gold and silver to the outside world, But Jesus knows the truth. Jesus knows the truth. And one day, all of us then will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. And it's important for us, again, to to understand that when we as believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not a judgment for sin. That has been dealt with once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are not going to be judged for our sin. Christ has been judged for us. So what is this judgment? It is a judgment of our works, what we have done since believing in Jesus 
for the purpose not to punish, but what? The purpose is to what? To do what? To reward. It's the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. So here, this is in the context of being, you know, either at home in the body or away from the body that is in the presence of the Lord. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And the truth is, is for all of us, as believers, there's a mix of good and evil in our lives and what we have done, isn't there? And Christ is going to sort it all out. Not to punish you, but to reward you. To reward you for the good that you have done for him. So Jesus is the judge of what is gold and silver and what is wood, hay, or straw. The verdict then will be reward or a loss of reward, a forfeiture of reward. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Fire is one of the ways it's used in Scripture. Is it's, a, it's a, a metaphor for the consuming judgment of God. And so here then, this fire is the consuming judgment of Christ. And that which survives the fire, as he inspects it, that which survives will be rewarded. But if anyone's work is burned up, that is wood, hay, and straw, that person will suffer loss. Now, not the loss of salvation, but the loss of reward, the forfeiture of reward. It is a forfeiture of what could have been. You know, I think that those are four very sad words, aren't they? What could have been? What could have been? Sometimes I think we have this idea in the church that, that, well, if we're a believer in Christ, we have eternal life, we have all those wondrous things that we talked about, the hope that we have, and how we live now doesn't really matter because, hey, we're all going to go to heaven, we're all going to have the same reward, right? Wrong. There are, it's true, we all have eternal life, and aren't you glad for that? Amen to that, Right? We're all going to have resurrected bodies. We're all going to know the joy of the Lord. We're all going to have an eternal inheritance. But there are going to be different levels of reward. What could have been? Four very sad words. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be moping forever because, oh, what could have been, what could have been. Our joy will be complete in the Lord but there will be a difference among us in terms of reward. So this loss isn't a loss of salvation. It's a forfeiture of what could have been. And just a reminder of that, in fact, he directly states it. Now the one who suffers, he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we may forfeit the reward we could have had, but we will indeed have be saved. Amen for that, right? But is that how you want to stand before the Lord? Well, at least I'm saved. At least I'm saved. I got in under the wire, right? Saved as through fire. That's the imagery there, right? 
Do you want that or do you want to stand there with the Lord please saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I want to say a little bit here about the Bible and heavenly reward. One of the the things that I think it's important for us to understand is that while we all have eternal life, we all have perfect righteousness in Christ, we all have a resurrected body, we all will inherit the new earth, we all will receive some reward, but it's not going to be exactly the same. It will be different according to what we have done. What does that mean? What does that look like, do you think? First off, just uh, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So when is, when is this going to happen? When are these different rewards going to be given? When Christ comes again. And what will he do? He will repay according to what each person has done. There's also the parable of the talents. Remember the the landowner, he went away, he he put his servants in charge of his property and he gave them each different talents. And some of them invested that and worked well with that and, and they got a profit, a return on that. And the Lord was pleased with that and he gave them more because of their faithfulness. The one who didn't, what was that? He was told that he was a worthless servant, right? So there will be varying degrees of heavenly reward. And what will this reward be? Well, my first answer is to say, you know, I don't know entirely. The Bible doesn't give us explicit, clear direction on all of what that means, what this reward is going to look like. But I can tell you this much. The scripture does speak of reward in a way that might be a little bit of a surprise for some of us here. That maybe you had never thought of it this way or heard it this way before. And yet when you hear this and you go back and you read the scriptures and these passages again, all of a sudden the light goes on and it makes and it clicks. The scripture speaks of crowns. And we think of these crowns like, oh, we're just going to have crowns on our heads, Right? Well, I don't know, you may, but, but you see a picture of what did you see the servants in Revelation doing with the crowns. They're casting their crowns back. Casting crowns, that'd be a great name for a, for a band, don't you think? I think something like that. No, they're t- so maybe there will be literal crowns, I don't know. But what does a crown represent or signify? It's authority and rule. So what are heavenly rewards? Authority. Differing levels of authority and rulership on the new earth. And some are going to have greater authority or rule than others. But here's the thing with, with that. You mean more responsibility? That's what heavenly reward is? More, I got enough responsibility, right? How many of you think, you know what? I don't need any more responsibility. But here's the thing. This greater responsibility is not going to be a burden the way it may feel to us now sometimes. It's going to be a joy. And so what is the reward? Greater responsibility. And with that greater responsibility comes what? Greater joy. So that's your reward. What is the greater reward? Greater responsibility and with it the greater joy that comes with it. 
You know, sometimes, you know, people ask, you know, what, what is it like to be a pastor? You know, wouldn't you want to just do something else? And the short answer to that question is no. You know why? Because there are some days, do you think that there are days where it's tough to be a pastor, tough to be a ministry? You better believe it. Do you think I would trade it for anything? Never. Even on the worst days, you know why? Because there is joy in being entrusted with that. I'm not saying there aren't days when I I would like to step away for a little bit, take a break, okay? Because there are. But to walk away from the calling of God, unimaginable, unthinkable. There is joy in what I do, and there is joy in what you do, even though there are hard days, right? What is this joy? It's greater responsibility, and with it, greater joy. This is this reward that we have. I want to conclude with uh, something that they teach you in preaching class never to do. I'm going to do it anyway. They teach you, never, never read really long quotes or long excerpts. But I'm going to do it anyway, all right? Because I've told you about a book that I've read that, as I've said, I, I think I'm going to have to maybe start uh, talk to the publisher and get a share of the profits for book sales on this, okay? But I love this book, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn. Last week, I shared some thoughts from there on the resurrected body. I want to share some thoughts on what he says about eternal reward, heavenly reward. So I'm going to read a good bit from it, because I want to encourage you with this, especially the last part of it, okay? But he's talking about, he's talking about the, what is the goal of history? What is God up to? And he says, God is the sovereign ruler of the universe, and yet he chooses not to rule the universe alone. He delegates responsibilities to angels who exist in a hierarchy of command under Michael the archangel. And God made human beings in his image as creators and rulers to carry out his divine will. What, was the, what, what were Adam and Eve given? They were given dominion or rulership, right? Authority. He does not grudgingly pass on to us management responsibilities, On the contrary, he delights to entrust earth's rule to us. He has uniquely created and gifted us to handle such responsibilities and to find joy in them. We've been born into the family of an incredibly wealthy landowner, and there is not a millimeter of cosmic geography that doesn't belong to him and by extension to his children, his heirs. Our father has a family business that stretches across the whole universe. He entrusts to us management of the family business, and that's what we'll do for eternity. Manage God's assets and rule his universe, representing him as his image bearers, children, and ambassadors. While we face our daily challenges, the knowledge that a new earth is coming should reassure us and give us perspective. It means there's not only hope, but purpose in our suffering. It means that though injustice is widespread, it will not last. God will make all things right. 
rewarding his people for trusting him. He will turn this upside-down world right-side up, placing it in the care of his beloved children. He talks about, well, this is, what do you mean that that we're going to rule? Scripture very clearly says we will rule and reign with Christ, doesn't it? What does that mean? Do we believe that or not? We will literally, physically rule and reign a physical new heaven and earth. He says, because crowns are the primary symbol of ruling, every mention of crowns as rewards is a reference to our ruling with Christ. In his parables, Jesus speaks of our ruling over cities. In Luke 19, Paul addresses the subject of Christians ruling as if it were theology 101. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we will judge angels? And the form of the verb in question implies we won't simply judge them a single time, but we'll continually rule them. There's you wonder, what do you mean? How are we going to rule angels? The angels are, are holy and righteous. What do you mean we're going to judge them? It means what? We're going to rule over them. It says, if we serve faithfully on the present earth, God will give us permanent management positions on the new earth. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. The owner has his eye on us, and if we prove faithful, he'll be pleased to entrust more to us. Imagine responsibility, service, and leadership that's pure joy. The responsibility that God will entrust to us as a reward can only be good for us, and we will find delight in it. The master will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, God is grooming us for leadership. He's watching us to see how we demonstrate our faithfulness, and he does that through his apprenticeship program, one that prepares us for heaven. Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He is preparing us for that place. I like what he says here. We all have dreams, but often don't see them realized. We become discouraged and lose hope. But as Christ's apprentices, we must learn certain disciplines. And while the young apprentices experience the death of their dreams, the master is shaping them to dream greater dreams that they will one day live out on the new earth with enhanced wisdom, skill, appreciation, and joy. Through the challenges you now face, What dreams might God be preparing you to live out on the new earth? Have you ever wondered why the universe is so large? We won't go into it now about how big the universe is. Trust me, it's huge. Beyond our ability to grasp. Why? Why do you think that might be? Well, call it a little sanctified speculation here. But if we're going to live forever... And we're going to continue to learn and grow, and human civilization is going to continue to flourish forever. Sinless, glorified human civilization is going to flourish forever and ever. 
There's going to be a whole lot to learn and expand into, isn't there? And trust me when I tell you, there's a big universe out there. He makes his, Isaiah 9, 7 says, God says of the reigning Messiah, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. How is his government going to increase forever and ever and ever? How is his rulership going to increase over and over and ever and ever? It says in Christ's government of the new earth and the new universe will be ever expanding. Even if the new earth were many times the size of the present one, wouldn't every inch of it immediately or eventually be under his control and under ours as his representatives? If so, it wouldn't be ever expanding. So what can it mean? There are two ways in which a government can increase, by expanding into previously ungoverned territories, or two, by creating new territories, an option not available to us as humans. So he says, It may be that Christ's government will always increase because he will continually create new worlds to govern. Or perhaps it will always increase because the new universe, though still finite, may be so vast that what Christ creates in a moment will never be exhaustively known by finite beings. From what we know of our current universe with billions of galaxies containing millions and billions of stars and untold planets, this is certainly possible. The restoration of the current universe alone will provide unimaginable territories for us to explore and establish dominion over God's glory. I want to conclude with one little word of encouragement here. Who is this for? Is this for the, the Christian big shots? Maybe, or maybe not. The fire will reveal that, right? But what about you? What about me? Like what he says here. He says, look around you to see the meek and the humble. They may include street sweepers, locksmiths, assistants, bus drivers, or stay-at-home moms who spend their days changing diapers, doing laundry, packing lunches, drying tears, and driving carpools for God. I once gave one of my books to a delightful hotel bellman. I discovered he was a committed Christian, and he said he'd been praying for our group, which was holding a conference at the hotel. Later, I gave him a little gift, a rough wooden cross. He seemed stunned and overwhelmed, and with tears in his eyes, he said, you didn't need to do that. I'm only a bellman. And the moment he said it, I realized that this brother had spent his life serving. It will likely be someone like him that I'll have the privilege of serving under in God's kingdom. He was only a bellman who spoke with warmth and love who served, who quietly prayed in the background for the success of a conference in his hotel. I saw Jesus in that bellman, and there was no only about him. Who will be the kings of the new earth? I think that bellman will be one of them, and I'll be honored to carry his bags. So what? Christ will remember and will reward you for all you did that honored him. Are you building on the right foundation? What's the right foundation? The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We believe that we put your trust in him. And so are you building on that foundation? Or are you trying to build it on something else? Are you building with precious things or worthless things? Precious things is what it's right doctrine and right living. Worthless things, wrong doctrine, wrong living. But beware, it could be stuff that looks like right doctrine and right living, but it's coming with the wrong motives. Christ will be the judge of those things. I find that are you resting in God's faithfulness? He doesn't want us to pursue this to save ourselves. <laughs> That's been decided forever in Christ. He wants us to pursue these things because he wants us to know the joy of serving him forever. Do you want to hear the Lord say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this heavenly hope that we have. Lord, it is eternal life, it is perfect righteousness, it is the resurrected body, it is a new earth, but it is also reward, and Lord, it's not going to be the same for all of us. So I pray, Lord, for each one of us here that we would endeavor to live our lives in such a way, to build on that foundation, which is Christ, with gold and silver and precious stones, right doctrine and right living, believing and clinging to the truth, sharing that hope with others, endeavoring to know you, Christ, and to be more like you in thought and word and deed, serving you, Lord, with right motives, that you would be honored and you would be glorified. May that be true for us. And may each one of us here, Lord, one day hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.